0: What if you took your favorite movie characters, pulled them out of the movies, then laid them down on a psychologist's couch, and popped open their brain, and kind of poked around inside? What if we took a doctor of clinical psychology and a wise ass, put them together, and made them watch a movie? Then we had the psychologist figure out all the stuff going on in the character's head you know, the stuff that makes them tick. What's going on inside the minds of our favorite movie characters? That's what we're here to. Of- out so grab some popcorn because this is cinema psych all right our next patient on the couch appeared in a slew of kevin smith movies it probably helps because the character is played by kevin smith Uh, along with his partner in crime jay they've appeared in a laundry list of films together including clerks Rats chasing Amy Dogma and their own feature film Jay and Silent Bob strikes back with a brand new movie to feature this character which is reportedly in production this fall called Jay and Silent Bob reboot characters known for chain smoking and his signature look which includes a long coat dark hair and beard with a backwards baseball hat and true to his name he rarely speaks but when he does he often says something insightful and intelligent at just the right moment up next on cinema couch it's silent Bob. The Jade of my Silent Bob, clinical psychologist, Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh. Jamie, welcome to uh, your show.
1: Thanks, thanks, uh, Jimmy. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. This one, uh, this one, it feels cool. This one feels a little more modern. Like for for us, you know, uh, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. For something from our childhood, I feel like Silent Bob is more from our teenage, you know, grown up years.
1: Yes, and I think for for me, Silent Bob just I hit that time of my life so perfectly because a lot of his things that he talks about. In the movies, there are like relationships and how they work, how they don't work, and when you look at Clerks, it's about a guy who's always looking for another girl. You know, he's always trying to find the next best thing, whether it's someone he's pining on from his past or not really enjoying what is present. And same type of thing with Rats, chasing Amy, trying to find the one girl and like losing the one. And then Jane, Silent Bob Strikes Back is just a pretty funny movie. Yeah, dog was a nice one about religion. Thought it
0: was a, a a good time in the life too. I mean, a, a lot of things were happening, right? I mean, VHS. Then we were going to like DVDs. You know, Kevin mm-hmm. Smith working in a video store, and then the next thing you know, he's you know directing and starring, and it just he said like pretty much I've heard it in interviews. He was just like, just go do it. Like no one's preventing yeah. you. You know, the cost of a camcorder is nothing, but the effort and the
1: time you got to put in. And then he did it, you know, which was perfect. Yeah. He designed his own character. He he went for it. And I, I've listened to a couple of his interviews, and people always say like, how do you do it? How do you do it? He's like, just, just do it. Put yourself out there. It may work. It may not work. I think he believes himself to be very lucky that he hit with this. Sure. Uh, First couple
0: of had that underground, grungy, you know, make yes. the camcorder feel, except they were good stories, which is why people, they were good stories. You know, it was cool to like know what Clerks and Mall Rats was because it was this underground, wasn't going to be at your local movie theater kind of thing. I think when I watched them in the beginning, I was a teenager, it was kind of cool to know the thing that was not mainstream.
1: Exactly. And if you've ever worked as a clerk, I don't know if you have, like that story is very real. Like you get those questions. You're like,
0: what? You don't tell that story like that unless you've lived it.
1: Exactly. Like that. I think that is just what his life was. And he was able to put it on film and people were really able to enjoy it. Yeah. And I think that's why I like those movies so much is because it really spoke to me in a variety of different things that I did, whether it was, you know, I worked as a clerk for a while or relationships that I'd had throughout my life. Like, it made sense, and they all spoke to me in a certain way. But the reason that I picked Silent Bob is because that character I always wanted more from. He would have these one lines that you're like, that is amazing. Like, that sums up what's going on in this movie. So in Clerks, he's like, there's a million fine chicks in the world, but only great ones bring lasagna to work. And it's like, yes, you are right. Like, right. There are there are a bunch of beautiful people out in the world, and you might be able to find someone who's better looking than the person that you're with, but like that doesn't mean it's a good person for you. And the story that he tells in Chasing Amy really kind of solidifies, and that's what I saw the role of Style and Bob in all of these movies, is he was the person that took the main character, the hero, and propelled them to whatever conclusion they had to come to. You know, in Clerks it's it's Dante figuring out he wants to be with that girl, and Mallrats, it's you know him getting the video to save the day, and chasing Amy it's really solidifying for Holden. Oh, I want to be with Alyssa, and this is the reason why, and this is a poor reason for me not to. And Dogma he just takes a trip across the country. But I always wanted more. I was he was like a great Buddha who had great wisdom that only came out in ten seconds throughout an entire movie. So it was tough watching five movies till we get like maybe four minutes of dialogue at best.
0: Right. Well, he was a big hairy bearded Buddha, and that's why he's on the show. Jamie a Doctor of Clinical Psychology, what are we going to look at inside the mind of Silent Bob? Where do you want to start?
1: Three things that I took away from these movies that I want to talk about. The first was selective mutism. Obviously, Silent Bob chooses to be silent. Second one that I wanted to talk about was his relationship with Jay and how that plays out and the impact that that possibly could have on him, or I guess, as they say, his uh, life partner, Jay. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the defense mechanisms that he uses throughout the movies.
0: So let's start with uh, selective mutism, that which really just gives the character's name, Simon Bob.
1: Yes. So selective mutism, just a childhood anxiety disorder that gets in the way of kids being able to communicate. They can communicate. They can talk, but they just... In- some social situations, they become so anxious, maybe it's school, maybe it's big groups, that they choose not to. This pattern is found in less than 1% of children, but it's challenging, it's hard, and it can perpetuate for people into adulthood. And the way that it does is so as a child, they might have selective mutism in these certain environments, school, with friends, but they can talk at home. But as you grow up, people start to realize, like, oh, Jamie just doesn't talk. So maybe as they get to middle school, adolescence, like they have a desire to talk, but now people may not engage with them as much. So now it becomes more, it manifests itself bigger. And then they get to adulthood. They've lived most of their life without talking, so it just continues. But it's pretty pretty rare. Like I said, 1% of children, and it doesn't really move into adulthood that often. But its origins basically come from kids being anxious. They may be highly reactive to like new environments, usually ones that are like crowded and noisy. So that's why school is always a big one. But like home, they can manage because home might be more quiet, might be less people, maybe mom, dad, sibling. If we're looking at from a psychodynamic point of view, which is kind of how I look at the world, there might be some developmental anxieties. Maybe it's fears of danger, fears of damage, maybe to self or others. It might be repressed aggression, or it could be negative emotion that people don't want to deal with.
0: We talked about in previous episodes, you know, shame and guilt and the difference between those. Is this, would something like that cause selective mutism in in terms of not wanting to to feel ashamed or or feel guilt or doing something wrong?
1: I wouldn't say that it's a driving factor behind it. Uh, I think it's more of an anxiety-driven thing, but I think there could be a level of embarrassment, uh, could be a level of fear of like being humiliated out, but shame and guilt, not guilt specifically, but definitely more shame-based, they might hold them back from wanting to talk and engage because they're not sure what's going to happen. Okay. So I feel like there was two main reasons that Silent Bob could have become silent. He fell into selective mutism. And the first one was anger. If you look at Silent Bob over the course of the movies, I wonder if he has this great fear of hurting others. I wonder if his experience, he like he experiences anger so strongly that he doesn't know what to do with it. So basically what he chooses to do is to withdraw. You get the sense as we watch through the movies, we go through the movies that Silent Bob is basically Jay's enforcer. Yeah. Like if people are, yeah, if people aren't paying up, if people aren't doing what they need to do, Silent Bob takes care of that. I imagine he got a reputation from doing that. <laughs> uh, so it came from, if we look at it, like Jay didn't go and be like, oh, I'm picking that guy to be my enforcer. There could have been something along the lines of like, oh, you should stay away from that guy, Bob. He's pretty, he's a pretty mean dude. Now, obviously we don't know this. We might be making some exaggerations, but it's possible, but you can see Silent Bob's strength. In Mallrats, you know the security guards are chasing after TS or Brody and Jay, and he just comes up behind them and gives them the Vulcan neck pinch, and they both go down. In the movie Dogma, he takes he takes both the angels and throws them out of the train. So he has he's a pretty powerful guy, so he can hurt people. And I wonder if his he fears that if my anger gets out of control, because those are situations where anger is in control. He knows, all right, I have to take care of these security guards, I have to take care of these angels, because there's going to be a bigger problem so I can use my strength in a positive way. But if it's just sheer anger, if it's just sheer rage, that is a very uncomfortable feeling for people. And in Jay and Silent Bob it's Strike Back, I think it's the one time where you start to see more calculated anger coming out because everyone's talking smack about them on the internet, which nowadays is like... So common, yeah.
0: I mean, I, before I get out of bed, someone's already talked trash about me. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's very amazing how people just love to tell the people exactly how they feel, not usually... Not usually in the like, hey, good job today, well done.
0: So you're saying so his fear on on that possible uncontrolled rage could be one reason why he just said, you know what, I'm gonna withdraw, I'm gonna I'm gonna be remain silent most of the time.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna remain silent most of the time. And there's one example from chasing Amy when the diner's in. He's talking about his experience with Amy and how he finds out that she's been with other men, menage a trois, I believe they call it. And in that moment, as he's telling the story, he said, "I just lashed." at her. I wanted to hurt her. And I think that was a moment where he might have experienced that rage that was uncontrollable or that anger that was uncontrollable. And he didn't like it because he saw the thing that he wanted the most, the thing he's been chasing for the rest of his life. He's chasing Amy. He pushed her away. So I think that maybe he could have realized that, oh, my anger is so much, it's so overwhelming that it pushes people I love away. Maybe it's better for me to be silent. That was one of the things. And I think the way that he does it is through the defense mechanism of primitive withdrawal. All right. So yeah. I think I think I know
0: what defense mechanisms are, but I'm probably using layman's terms or not really doing it justice. So what, what is a defense mechanism from a clinical perspective?
1: Oh, Jimmy, give yourself credit. You're a pretty smart guy. <laughs> so defense mechanisms are mental operations that we use to remove unpleasurable feelings. We call them affects from like our conscious awareness. So there's three sensations that we as humans do not like and we want to get away. So the first one is anxiety. It's the thought that something bad is going to happen in the future because that's usually what causes anxiety. We think about the future. It's something we can't control and it makes us feel anxious because it's going to happen. The second one is depression that we want to avoid and a sensation that something terrible has happened. Right. So we think about the past or we think about even if we think into the future, like something bad is going to happen. This makes us feel anxious and it could make us feel depressed like someone's going to die. And the last strong sensation that we try and defend against is anger. And anger is a sensation and thought of destroying something or someone like my anger, my rage is going to become so overwhelming that it's going to push people away, it's going to destroy them, or I'm going to destroy myself. So anytime an individual has any one of these three sensations, what they do is they defend against it. And there are hundreds of defense mechanisms that we as individuals use. And I think the one that he uses is primitive withdrawal, is if you think of a baby, young child, when they get overstimulated, the thing that they do, they go to sleep. They get so overwhelmed that they just want to get away from the world. So they fall asleep. And I think that happens for other people. I don't know if you've had this experience, but it's just like, I have so much going on in my life. I just want to go take a nap and you take a nap. That's a form of primitive withdrawal. I thought that was just me. No, I, I think that's was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. It's a, I don't want to deal with the world. I don't want to think. So what's the best way to not think? Be unconscious. So psychological withdrawal, changes to a different state of consciousness and it's protective and you can see it and it starts in babies. Like you can see it in small children. Like they'll start crying and then they'll fall asleep because they're so overwhelmed. So adults do the same thing. As I said, they can net. Um They can go to a world of internal fantasy like daydreaming. Or they can use chemicals. Uh, they can use alcohol. Adults typically do that. And If you look at Silent Bob, his withdrawal could be marijuana. He takes advantage of this defense mechanism because he wants to escape reality whether his reality is the anger that he feels, whether it uh, could be self-esteem, which we'll talk about, or it could be just he's overstimulated by Jay because Jay is very overstimulated. Mm-hmm. Snitchy-boochies, man. Exactly. People who depend on this mechanism can be seen as, like, withdrawn or away, but it's just their way of dealing with life. And I think that that's his main defense mechanism is I don't want to deal with life. Let me just smoke it away so I can help manage life a little bit more efficiently. One of the things that I thought contributed to the selective mutism was the anger. But I think the second one is his self-esteem. He tends to vacillate between having good self-esteem and not feeling good enough. And in the diner scene that we talked about in Chasing Amy, like he says, I didn't feel good enough. Like I didn't feel like I was good enough in that moment. I felt small. I think that part of his is, is I don't think Silent Bob has very good self-esteem. I don't think he has a lot of self-worth. He can stand up for himself every once in a while, like, as he's starting to tell his story in the diner scene. Jay says something smart, and... (laughs) Bob turns to him and says, do something, essentially, like, what are you going to do about it, which is one of my favorite scenes. But I think that his self-esteem is hindered by having Jay as a relationship because Jay puts him down a lot. He calls him fat. He calls him tubby, you know, but you can see that Silent Bob has dreams. He talks about from Chase and Amy the idea of like, did you know that I wanted to be a dancer in Vegas? You didn't even know that or. Uh, there's a scene in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back where Ben Affleck is essentially saying, you know, this person wants more. I, I look at this hapless bastard's eyes and I can see <laughs> I want more. And you see Silent Bob like slowly nodding like, yes, I do want a little bit more in my life. And then at some point he's like, no, no, I don't. Because Jay looks at him and he's like. Phew. So I think that because of his lack of self-esteem, I don't think he has a lot of self-worth. I don't think he feels like he has much to say. Anyway, like you wouldn't be able to speak up and talk, even if you wanted to, because he doesn't feel like he has anything important to say. So I think the anger and the self-esteem really are a good mixture of what could contribute. I'm not saying that what does contribute, what could contribute to Silent Bob being silent. All right. Well, now we've looked
0: inside of what uh, causes really his namesake, his selective mutism. Besides his beard, backwards cap and his uh, long coat, the other thing everybody thinks of when they think of Silent Bob, of course – is the guy usually standing, well, almost adjoined to his hip, and that's Jay. So his relationship with Jay, where do we start
1: there? To take a step back, when we think about Kevin Smith's conceptualization of relationships, it's basically a two-person thing, a 2 person dyad, and it's usually an id and a superego. So I'll, I'll break that down. So Freud created his intrapsychic model, which is the id, the ego, and the superego. So the id is just sex and aggression. That's all it wants. I kind of think of the id as a Tasmanian devil. Like yes. you're just going all over the place. All right. And the superego I think of is the supreme court. That's where all our morals, all our values come from. And those two are constantly in battle. Like the id is like, let me do whatever the heck I want. And the superego is like, you can do absolutely nothing. So the ego is the one in the middle saying, Hey, you know, well, why don't we give you some moral and why don't we let you have some fun? But we got to balance it out a little bit. Okay. If you look at every single one of Silent Bob's characters, all he has is an id and an ego. He has no super ego. So Jay would be the id. Silent Bob's the ego. Because Silent Bob does go along with Jay. Like they engage right. in illegal activities. You no, know, they go beat up people. Dante and Randall. Randall's the id. Dante's the ego. Maybe even shifting to a little bit of super ego. But Dante does go along with Randall. T.S. and Brody. Same type of thing. Brody's more an id. T.S. is an ego. And even in the Angels, with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, like Matt Day, or yeah, Matt Damon's more of the id, Ben Affleck is more of the ego, and then it kind of switches. So I had a theory that has no scientific basis whatsoever, Those but it's something I came up theories. with. Yeah, it had right nothing there. to do with. It. And I think it was just sitting around one day, but I feel like every relate, every three person relationship has an id, an ego, and a superego. And I think that's what makes good three-person relationships. You have to have the person who wants to go out and do whatever. They're up for anything. And you have to have the person who's like, hey, let's kind of reel it back a little bit. And then you need the person in the middle to kind of keep them both keep them both happy.
0: Now, I so have a think, question. When yes. you get into different groups of people, does, can your role change? Because I'm already thinking of groups that I'm in.
1: Yes, yes. I can think of groups that you're in as well. Great. Um, yes, I, I think the role can change. Because, I mean, there are some people who are just straight ids. Like they just want to go out and they just want to party and have fun, you know, walk that line to maybe getting arrested and maybe even walk past that line of getting arrested. And there's some people that are just strictly super egos. There's they have, I don't want to say a better moral compass, but they're more you know, grounded in like, maybe we should think about this before we just do. I would say and there's super definitely, boring, but yeah, yeah, yeah I got you. <laughs> well, they're the ones that keep you in check. That's true. And then there's a the person that's always in the middle that has to negotiate to try it essentially. But, I do think that we are different things for different people. Like I know in some of my friend groups, like I'm definitely the one that has to keep the temple up and like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And in other ones, I'm like, slow it down. We should really think about, like, right. I have a license that I have to protect and I right. can't do certain things. Right. So yeah, that was just a theory that has no basis, but I just feel, in, especially in three person friend groups, there's always that triad there. So in the silent Bob and a tri- uh, dyad, obviously Jay's the id, And Silent Bob is the ego. And you can see that their relationship starts from a very young age. You know, they both get left outside of the quick stop and mothers go in and do their things. And you can tell from that moment on, they kind of grew out together. I did wonder why Silent Bob stayed for so long, because he does have like potential. Like he he won the science fair as a young kid. You know, he wanted to go be a dancer. You can tell he has a high level of intelligence. So why does he stay with Jay? And two things came to mind. I think that, one, he feels like Jay really needs protection. Jay is portrayed as kind of a goofy guy who intelligence might be outside the elephant. He might miss a lot of things. And I think Bob kind of brings him back. He tends to guide him in the right direction. You know, every time he's like, like when he's trying to hit on the girl, Shannon Elizabeth, Jay inside of the Bob's Strike right back, he looks to Silent Bob and Silent Bob's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and he kind of brings him in. So I think that he does feel some responsibility towards Jay just to protect him. And I think that he also gets a lot of entertainment out of Jay. Like, I think he truly enjoys being his friend, but he wants to make sure, like, you know, he's okay. And I think we all have those friends who we just hang on to for long periods of time. You know, they had meaning for us at some period of time. Maybe we break away from them. Maybe we don't. But they, they still matter to us. And I think that's why Silent Bob is such a good, loyal friend to Jay, because he, He sees him as someone who I wonder if he thinks if I leave him, like Jay's going to go to jail. Jay's going to get beat up. Jay's going to die. I need to be here to protect him. I need to be here to save him. And he's a good guy. People might misunderstand who he is, but I get him. And I think that's why he stays around and why maybe he doesn't fulfill his potential. Maybe it is because he has a lack of self-esteem. I don't know. Or it's because I have a great loyalty. And we all have those type of loyalties to people in our lives.
0: Good insight. And now that you're pointing it out, it's those things that were there the whole time. But now that I see them, when you explain them like that in terms of the it and the ego and the different relationships. And you know, that's probably saying something about Kevin Smith and
1: his writing style is when you see those things become a pattern, right? Yeah. And I think you go with what works. And he found, I don't know whether it was consciously or unconsciously, you need a wild person and you need the stable guy. And I think that that could be found in maybe a lot of relationships. Like you need the crazy one, you need the straight guy. Like Laurel and Hardy, or if you look at, uh, Friends, Chandler and, and Joey. Joey. That's actually a good triad right there. So you have Chandler, Ross, Joey, super- and Ross. Yes. So Ch- Ross is the superego. Chandler is, Chandler's the ego and, and Joey's kind of the id.
0: I like it. See, look at that. Learning psychology with friends.
1: Well, Now we've got yes. to do an episode with those guys. Great. There, there's way too many episodes for me to go through. That It'll take me a month well, I don't think it much. Well, I
0: also think in different episodes of Friends, not to not to have too much of a tangent, they they change their roles based on the whatever story they're telling that day. Like yes. sometimes Chandler is really really sharp, and sometimes he's kind of aloof and he's the butt of the jokes. So they change a little bit, but that's true
1: in life, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what we were talking about. If we go back to the original point of like how you can change in certain relationships, like some days the id might just not have it. Right. They just might, you know, had a rough day, didn't want to do anything. So someone else has to step up to be the life of the party or we're all just going to sit around and stare at each other.
0: Right. Yeah. You act differently in front of your grandmother than you do in front of your girlfriend. So you change your personality based on who you're around.
1: Exactly. And I think you always stay within the, stay within your volume. And sometimes maybe you turn it up to 11, but sometimes you keep it because I mean, you and I are basically the same person. For most of our, where we are in our life, in work, maybe we're a little bit less, like we're not going to like curse or say something like that at work, but around our friends are might, but we're still the same genuine person in all the relationships or how we relate to people. Because if you have to be a different person for everyone in your life, that's exhausting. Tired. If I got to be, yeah, if I got to be someone different at work or someone different for Jimmy or someone different for another one of my friends, someone different for my parents, that's exhausting. But I can be me and just turn the volume. Down a little bit, or I can turn it up to eleven depending on the situation.
0: Love the Spinal Tap. Turn it up to eleven. Reference.
1: Appreciate that. I think a lot of times in psychology, when people hear things, they think it's a bad thing. So someone says, "Oh, you're using your defense mechanism of fill in the blank." It's a bad thing. Defense mechanisms can be helpful. They can be very useful. So one defense mechanism that we use a lot, people use a lot, is humor. Humor is a good defense mechanism. Like when you're in a room and you can feel the the bottom drop out, or you feel it's pretty awkward. Cracking a joke is not a bad idea, but you just use the defense mechanism or compartmentalization. Sometimes we need to be able to put things in different scenarios through what I do in my work. Like the first hour that I see someone, I could hear a horrible story about someone's life. I have to then at 50 change over to the next thing that I have to do. I can't be walling about that for the rest of my day. Or if I get bad news, if I have a bad day coming into work, you know, my car doesn't work, train's late. My nine o'clock client doesn't care about that. Right. So I have to be able to put that away, put that on the shelf, attend to the person that I need. So I have to use the defense mechanism compartmentalization. Same things with minimization. Like minimization is another defense mechanism that we use. And that could be like some things need to be minimized. I don't know if you've ever like cut yourself real bad or like broken a bone and you look at it and you're like, that's not so bad. That's not so bad when it's really bad. Yeah. That's minimization. You need to do that because if you think how bad it is, there's going to be a problem. So Defense mechanisms can be very helpful. It just depends on which ones that you're using and how often you're using them. So there's two defense mechanisms. One's denial, one's repression. Denial is basically saying something didn't happen. So that's what we would call like a lower level defense mechanism because things happen. And denial is like, well, that didn't happen. And repression is that happened, but I can't deal with that. So I got to push that away. Same type, of, same type of defense mechanism. I need to put this away. One's saying that the event happened, I got to move it away. One saying it didn't happen. Same kind of result but different ways of looking at life. So the more higher-order defense mechanisms you use, the better. But just because someone uses a defense mechanism doesn't mean it's a bad thing. We need them to help us get through life. Like that.
0: All right, well, how do we wrap up Kevin Smith's uh, iconic character from our childhood, Simon Bob? Uh,
1: I think that thinking about the idea of Selective mutism, like, just because someone's selectively mute doesn't mean they're stupid, doesn't mean they can't communicate, and they choose not to talk in that moment. We sometimes, as humans, make snap judgments. They're called, like, heuristics. They're mental shortcuts. Like, just because I see something, this is what it must be. And just because someone doesn't speak or a child doesn't speak doesn't mean it's a bad thing. doesn't mean they have any less intelligence than you. It just means that maybe something's going on for them, and they're pretty overwhelmed, and they're choosing not to.
0: For Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh, this was an inside look at Kevin Smith's. Silent Bob. Thanks for listening. This is the part of the show where we give you the credits. Super fun part. This show is produced by PT Pinecast LLC with your hosts, Dr. Jamie Hagenbaugh and Jimmy McKay. That's me. Nothing that you heard here should be taken as professional advice. If you're having a mental health issue, seek help from a qualified professional.
1: Our lawyers made us say that.